Hey, good to be with you. What an honor to be in this place. What a great blessing. Uh, you have no idea what the Lord is doing throughout the Spanish world because of First Baptist Church. I came to First Baptist Church when there was half of the old auditorium over there. And you remember that? Some of you remember that? The other half over there? And, and that's when I came to First Baptist Church. Brother House was greeting in front, right in that aisle, angle aisle, and greeting my wife and I. We came here, and we fell in love with First Baptist Church. I learned so much of House Anderson College. I learned so much of the First Baptist Church, seeing the seal, the, the fire to reach people and, and, and walk with God. And, and boy, I just enjoy that. Then to my surprise, in, in 77, I was, went to see Brother House to be a missionary to Mexico. And Brother House said, Brother Elmer, I want you to be our first Spanish pastor. And I was like, what in the world? What, what are you talking about? I said, no, we're going to get a Spanish ministry, not a Sunday school, a church within a church. And I want you to be our sp first Spanish pastor. So I was shocked. I wanted to go to Mexico, but I was so honored he wanted that. I told him if I could pray for it. And I went to the uh, outside of the office, told my wife, said, honey, you won't believe. Brother House wants me to be the first Spanish pastor. Oh, yeah, and he wants you to be Chancellor House Anderson College too, right? Ha, 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 ha. And she started laughing at me. And I said, I'm serious. I'm serious. He wants me to be a Spanish pastor. I said, you? I said, well, yeah, me. It's like, I know you. You're not so hot. Uh, thank God for a good wife to keep us humble. Amen. So uh, I became the first Spanish pastor in 1977. In March, we have our first meeting. And we got, he gave us the old drugstore. The church gave us an old drugstore building there. I've been abandoned for a year. We try to fix it. We try to work on it. Three Spanish pastors told me, young man, what you have learned works with the Americans, but not with the Spanish. You have to understand, Spanish are Catholics. You have to understand, Spanish are with their Virgin Marys and their idols and all that. No, no, you can't do it with the Spanish. Back then, the largest Spanish churches were maybe 100, 200 people was a mega Spanish church. So I got along with God. I said, Lord... We have the Word of God in Spanish. We have the Holy Spirit. We have sinners. Could you do it with the Spanish? I've never done it. I've seen it done with the Spanish. I didn't know if it could be done with the Spanish. I said, well, let's just try what they're doing. Let's try what they're doing across the street in the English over there. Let's just try it. So by the grace of God, God did it. From the little group of 12 ladies and three men and a, a bunch of children, and 10 years later, we had 3,029. And a bunch of people getting saved and things happening. Then other pastors are saying, what is happening over there? What is going on? I thought it couldn't be done with the Spanish. So there we start having conferences and start sharing conferences and, and sharing exactly what we learn here. Exactly what we had learned at House Anderson. Exactly what we had seen at First Baptist. All we did was try to duplicate it over there. And God bless. Amen. See, it's not First Baptist. It's, not, it's God's principles. It doesn't matter what, they're going to be blessed. 
So we, we started over there, that took off, and then we start having conferences. I told Brother House, I said, Brother House, I'm burdened because so many of the Spanish cannot come here, but they need to learn this. So we went all over the Spanish world and started going all over and teaching and preaching and sharing with them how to have a fisherman's club, how to have Sunday schools, how to have a foster club or lady soul winning, uh, you know, about separation, soul winning, teaching them how to win souls. Pastors telling us, I won my first soul outside of the church. And they were teaching soul winning. That thing started growing and started growing, and now there are conferences, well, except this year because of the COVID, but God has given us conferences all over the Spanish world. I'm just sharing this to tell you what God is doing because this is the birthplace. This is what God used. This place is what God used. Since Fires of Angelum has started, we have seen over 12,000 surrender for full-time service. Many of them are pastoring nowadays. Many a conference we go now, how many got, got called a preacher at one of the conferences, and many of pastors will raise their hands. Mexico, uh, Mexico had maybe 700 churches. Now there's over 3,000 independent Baptist churches, and all because of First Baptist Church. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being that example. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for helping us. And we are indebted with First Baptist Church. And uh, we love you. We pray for you. I thank God for the pastor he's given you. I've known him for years. And what a blessing. Praise the Lord for his goodness. Amen. Let's get into our Bibles. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I think you know that verse. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for all the blessings I have received in this place. Thank you for the good people that have worked hard in this church to make it, to keep it going. Thank you for them. Now, Lord, I pray you bless, and I pray that you help us. Holy Spirit, get me out of the way, and use this unprofitable serv servant only useful in your hands to help your people. And may we have ears to hear what the Spirit wants to tell the church. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not sure what days we'll be facing. I'm not sure what's coming to this country. As a Cuban, puts me a little bit on unease when I see the things, the way this country's going. So many similarities of communism and in Cuba. So many going on, so much going on. But I remember my aunt, and she taught us on how to endure hard times. If anybody knew how to endure hard times was my aunt. We call him Tia Nena. See, my uncle was a professor at a Bible college in Cuba. They f found each other, they got married, and a year after they got married, she got some kind of paralysis that she got all crippled. Her hands got all crippled like this, and her, her legs came up, and she was in a sitting position. She couldn't stretch her hands. 
I thank God as I'm not a young man now, but I can't close my hand more of that. I'm fighting with that arthritis. I don't know if it runs in the family. But with her, it was only a year after marriage and in a horrible situation. My uncle had to resign as a teacher and said, I'm going to start a print shop in the living room. And he started a print shop in his living room so he could take care of her and get a little income. So he started printing. He would print tracks free. He would do all kinds of things free, but he made his money like that. Business are prospering, so all of a sudden he built a house, very typical in our country, to put the house and the business together. So this side of the house was the business, this side of the house was the living quarters. Over here in this, there was a big wall, and my aunt would sit over here in, a, in her wheelchair, and she could lean this way and see the living quarters, lean this way and see the business. My uncle would take care of her. The business grew. He had men working for him, printing machines. And the business started growing. There, in communism, took over. And all of a sudden, in, 19, what, in 1955, I came from Cuba to the United States. And in 1960, my mother died. My dad went, took me to live with them. In 1961, in the Christmas of 60, my dad came to the United States and sold some property. He says, I'll be right back in a few months. But in 1961, in January, Castro declared himself communist. And the relationship between Cuba and the United States break. I was left in Cuba, and my dad was up here. I could not leave Cuba. All of a sudden, things start changing in Cuba. Like Venezuela, which I've traveled many a times before all this, Maduro and all of them, it was a, a good country. Now it's a chaos. The socialism and communism, all it does is destroy everything. And all of a sudden, things start getting bad and worse and worse and worse. And it got where be where everything was rationed. All we had was a little booklet, and everything you would go get would be rationed. Meat was a quarter of a pound a week per person, including fat, including bone. But you didn't just go and buy it. You had to get in line. Oh, there's meat, there's meat. We go to a meat market and we get in line if need be all night long. So the next day we could buy a pound for all four of us for the week. Doesn't mean you always had it. Everything was rationed. Everything was in horrible condition. We would buy meat in the black market at 10 times the average cost. At that time it was 10 pesos. The average salary was one peso per hour. And we paid 10 hours of work for one pound of meat. With the risk if you got caught, it'd be 10 to 15 years in jail for buying meat. See, the farmer had those cows, but those weren't his. They were the government's. You had a pig over here, but that's not yours. That belongs to the government. So if you kill it and you sell it, now you could face jail, and whoever buying it could face jail. Conditions got unreal. Then later on, I saw where being a print shop and printing, the government came, and they came to the store and told my uncle with trucks and said, uh, we're moving the print shop. Now, don't forget, he started it. Don't forget, many years ago, he just started his little business there. 
He had worked hard and worked hard and worked hard and, and get it to prosper and prosper and build that print shop with three employees, four employees working in it. Now they come and say, we're taking it. He said, excuse me, but let me explain to you something. Let me explain to you why I did it here at home. See my wife, how she is. I want to take care of her. And I'm going to be honest with you. If anybody puts me to shame on being the right husband was my uncle. I've never seen a man love his wife more than he did. I remember my aunt asking and saying, uh, Elmer, go tell Sanchez, go tell your uncle that I, I need to use the restroom. How hard on her, she can't use the restroom her on herself. She can't get a glass of water on her own. She can't do that. And all of a sudden I go ask my uncle and said, the tío, which is uncle, uh, tía needs you, aunt needs you. He's talking to some men, and, and we were taught back then that you don't interrupt the dogs talking. Now, if dogs are talking, a child doesn't interrupt. But she told me, go do it no matter what. So I went to him. He's talking to businessmen about a business deal. He just said, gentlemen, excuse me a minute. He didn't come to her and say, don't you see I'm in a business? Can you wait? No. He said, what do you need, sweetheart? What do you need, my love? He says, I, I need to use the restroom. He would take her like if they were in their honeymoon. He would carry her to the bathroom. He would take her to the bathroom. He would clean her and do everything he needed. Give her a kiss and say, and she says, I'm sorry for bothering you. I said, no, it's not a bother. It's an honor. It's a privilege. That was for years. I slept in their bedroom. I slept with him there, the way he took care of the, her, the way he nurtured for her. That's why he wanted the business there, so he could be, she could just say, call him, and he could come and take care of her. He wanted to take care of her. Now the government says, you know what? We're taking the business away. He said, okay, you be the owner, but please leave it here so I could work for you. I'll work for you here, but I want to take care of her. I want to have it here. They said, nope, we're taken to a central location. See, Castro took over the radios, the TVs, printing, everything. They had media. So he could control the media. So be totally controlled by the government. Does that seem a little familiar? And be totally controlled by the government. So the government controlled everything. And my uncle said, please just leave it here. He said, nope, we're taking it. Trucks came and started loading everything. Then offer to pay. Then say how much you want for it. They took it all. There's my aunt and uncle now without a business, without anything. Me to take care of and her father of 86 years. People came to encourage my aunt. And people came to be encouragement to them. And they left encouraged. They said, I've never seen anybody so happy, so peaceful, so full of joy, so thankful in those conditions. What in the world? How could you be so happy? First thing my aunt would say is, I know Jesus as my Savior. I may not be able to walk. 
And I might not be able to get my own glass of water. And we might have lost our business. But I have not forgotten in whom I believed. And I know I'm going to go to heaven one day. And I know I'm going to live with him forever. And I know I'm not going to go to the lake of fire. And I know I'm going to be walking the streets of gold. I'm going to be running the streets of gold. And it has such a positive attitude. I never heard her complain. Is there pain? If you have arthritis, you know there is pain. Hands hurt, your body hurts, and I'm light. With her, the pain must have been unbearable. I never found out. I never heard her complaining. All I heard was praising the Lord. All I heard was thanking the Lord. All I heard was saying, Lord, you're so good to me. Now I look back and I think, preacher, good night. You're so good to me? I mean, I can't walk. I can't move. We, we took, uh, they took away our, our print shop. And then, that's not it. After I left, they took away their home. They said their home is too big for just the two of them. My, father, my grandfather had died and I had left. And they said, it's too big for the two of you. We got to give it to somebody else from the Communist Party. And they gave it to somebody to the Communist Party and moved them into a little place. And then later on, she went to be there with heaven. I was here in my office when the Marielle boat lift. I don't know if you all remember in 83. And the Marielle boat lift. And I, 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 I helped pay for a boat to go get him and get him out. And Martha and I talked about it. Let's have him come and live with us. And we paid for it and all that. And all they loaded was a bunch of prisoners. And Castro unloaded the jails and, and brought them over. And we never got them to come. I kept writing to my uncle, but he wouldn't answer. I kept calling a, a neighbor that had a phone, but he wouldn't answer. Two years later, a man comes here, and I was in the, a Spanish pastor in the office, and, and I said, hey, have you heard of Heriberto Sanchez? He goes, oh, you know him? Sure, I know him from San Jose de las Lajas. Yes, in the town and everything in Cuba. I said, how's he doing? He says, you don't know? He died two years ago. He died, I didn't even know about it. But you know, I learned something from them. Give thanks in everything. Yeah. Give thanks in everything because this is the will of God for you. I learned from them that there's always something good that you can give thanks for. I learned from them in Romans 8. I got saved later, but I had a lot of knowledge. And as I learned from them in Romans 8, they would say, you know, we, well, let's go there for a minute. I'll, I'll share with you what they taught me. They say, always, always, son, always trust God's wisdom. God knows what he's doing. We may not understand, but he knows what he's doing. In verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I may not understand why. Can I be honest with you? I do understand why. Because the impact that couple had in my life. Do I understand why God let my mother die and let me go live with them? Because the impact in those six years they had in my life is unforgettable. But see, that lady is saying, trust God's wisdom. 
We don't understand what's going on. We don't understand what's happening. But we just have to trust God. He knows what he's doing. And then you go over to verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be with us, who can be against us? There's a reason why God has allowed Castro. There's a reason, whether it's punishment, whether it's trial, whether it's to teach us. I don't know, but there's a reason. I know he's powerful enough to remove him. But if he doesn't, there's a reason for it. God knows what he's doing. God's still in control. And then her favorite one was the third point. She goes, and above all, it says here in verse 35, and who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Oh, verse, uh, jump over to verse 37. Nay, in all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, I am convinced, I know for sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. She said, I know one thing. Jesus loves me, and I know he loves me, and no matter what, he loves me and I know he loves me he's wise he's powerful and above all he loves me if he's letting this happen to me it's because he knows there's a reason for it Amen. and I went wow wow that helped me a lot when I came in 1966 April 26 of 1966 and the freedom flights the United States government was sending planes to get those of us uh, that were there, that the parents were here to be able to come. And I got on a Pan American airliner and flew from Cuba to Miami, landed there in Miami, and up there we got all down the steps and my dad was there waiting, all the dads, he came running to me and he greeted me. I had not seen my dad in six years. My dad had gotten away from the things of God. My mom and dad, when they got married, were both serving in a church and active, and they came to this country. But my dad went after money. And he came over to Joliet to be able to work in Caterpillar because he could make big money. And then he lost his wife. And then he lost his son. Can I ask you a question? Are you rich? How many rich people we have here? We all are. See, we have a bad concept of what's riches. Money, things. Look, if you are saved and you got a lovely family and you got health, you are super rich. You are rich. You ought to be. I mean, look, even if you don't got health, if, you, if all I've got is I'm saved, I'm rich. I'm going to heaven. I got something Bill Gates doesn't have, maybe. So, but my dad went after riches of this world. Love not the world, nor the things of this world. We have fallen too in love with things. And he fell in love with things. Well, he lost his wife and his son for six years. I come back to this country and I go with my dad, but, you know, then I start facing my battles. But I didn't react like my aunt did. I reacted with a little bit of bitterness and a little bit of resentment. 
See, when I came, my dad was not in the things of God. Even though I was not saved, I had the head knowledge, and I knew all about the Lord and, and, and the Bible principles. But I had not gotten saved. But now I'm with my dad, and my dad doesn't go to church. He marries a Catholic lady. And I come to this country, and I go to Joliet East High School, an all-English-speaking high school. All of a sudden, they uh, I've said this before, but... I never, went, I never finished sixth grade. I never went to seventh grade. I never went to eighth grade. When I came from Cuba, I was six foot tall, and they told me I'm too tall to go to sixth grade. I'm too tall for seventh grade. I'm too tall for eighth grade. So they put me in ninth grade in, in high school. Man, I said, what a wonderful country. They put you in school according to height and not according to your knowledge. I said it at the college, and they all got a kick out of it. I said, if that were the case, some here would be in kindergarten. So, but you know, all of a sudden, things weren't that, not that fun. It wasn't that fun to face yourself. Uh, just turn 13, starting high school, and facing with English, with no one speaking Spanish, the high school of 1,500 or 1,600 students. And I got where, God, why, why did you take my mom? Why? And see, if anything we need in trying times, it's God's grace. We're saved by grace. What did he tell Paul? My grace is sufficient for thee. All you need is my grace. But I wasn't looking at his grace. I was looking at like God had not been fair with me. I was looking at God, why are you doing this to me? I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the grades. I'm be honest with you, in Cuba, I was an A student. And now here, I'm, I, I, they don't grade you by, by numbers here in this country. We didn't grade by numbers in Cuba. They grade you by letters. And I always wonder why they would put the F of Fernandez on top. And I said, why do they always put my initial up there? Until I found out I was flunking. I didn't know the test. I would just go true and false. I just go T, 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 F, 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 T, 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 F. Never read it. But you know what the wonderful thing is of the public schools? I thank God for public schools. Don't get mad at me. But I thank God for public schools because they passed me anyhow. You don't have to learn to pass. At 16, I graduated from high school. And then I was away from God. I was not in the things of God. I hate to say it, but I go drinking with some guys, get home so late, and I don't know how I got home. I don't like telling this part. I got with a young lady, and she was going to, it was a Sunday morning, and I took my 68 Camaro. I had that 68 Camaro on Route 80 at 130 miles an hour. And I took my 68 Camaro with her, and we were going to go for a ride. And all of a sudden, she went to light up a cigarette. And when she went to light up the cigarette, I, I told her, I said, would you, would you put that away? My dad smoked two packs a day, and I, it bothered me the smoke. I said, would you put that away? So she put it away. I don't think not even a few seconds later, 30 seconds, I don't know. 
I hit a curve a little too fast and I had some gravel and I didn't realize it. I mean, I used to love getting in the ramps and just going the, and the car would be fishtailing like that, 70 miles an hour on a 30 mile an hour ramp. But this time there was gravel. And with a little gravel, I lost control of the car and it went over a cliff and there was a good cliff and it rolled a few times. We were not wearing seatbelts, so we went all over the car there. And all of a sudden, I, could smell, I, I went unconscious. And then when I wake up and I said, what is going on? I smell the gasoline. And oh, wow, this, this smells horrible. So we were able to get out of the window. You know, Camaros don't have big windows. And smash, the roof smash, it was not much. Thank God it was in those days. If it would have been today, I would have been stuck in there. But in those days, I was skinny, and I was able to get out. And we get out, and the police came, and everybody came and said, Hey, listen, if, if anybody had been smoking, a small spark or anybody smoking in this car, this thing would have blown up like a bomb. We went unconscious. I could have blown up. Right there, I went that night to my room, and I did something that I don't know if anybody here, I know you come to church. I, know, I mean, that was me. I was in church. My pastor got put in jail, accused falsely. The government put him in jail. And I grew up in church, but I had the head knowledge. I knew of Jesus. I knew of Jesus as the Savior. I knew of Jesus, that he had died for us. I knew the story, but I have personally Never ask him to be my savior. That night I got by my bed and I said, Dear Jesus, would you forgive me and you save me? And bless God, that July of 1970, I received Christ as my savior. Now, you know, you know what I think of? I think now what Tia Nena said. I'm saved. Preacher, I could have been 50 years burning in hell. 50 years burning in hell. Not everybody gets a second chance. God gave me a second chance. Isn't that enough to be thankful for? Now, I'm battling with all kinds of health issues, heart issues, thyroid issues, bunch of issues. As a matter of fact, it's better telling you what's good than what's bad because the bad list is too long. But you know, God is good. We're saved. We're going to heaven. No matter what, we're going to heaven. Thank God for the grace of God. Then, we came to House Anderson College, my wife and I. And I'm not going to go through the detail of the whole deal, but wow, things are totally different. I didn't think, God, I can't make it. And something the Lord told me in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I preached to the kids the whole message on this in the college. See, our biggest enemy is our pride, our ego, our self. We think we could do it. And God has to take us away from that so he could do it. Paul, he told Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. 
He said, God has allowed something to happen to me. We're not sure what it was. Was it he made with a C? Was it an epileptic seizure? We're not sure, but something was bugging him. And he begged God. He says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it may depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is all you need. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure, I take pleasure, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproach, in necessities, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then am I strong. Infirmities, diseases, disability, reproaches, disgrace, blame, false accusation, necessities, need, financial, poor, broke, persecution, attacks on our life, attacks on our attack on our reputation, attack on our family, attack on our freedom, distress to cause a sorrow, misery, discomfort. He said, I'm allowing that to get rid of you, Paul, but my grace is all you need. Boy, when I was at House Anderson and God spoke to me like that, I remember my aunt. All we need is the grace of God. Todo lo que necesitamos es la gracia de Dios. All we need is the grace of God. His grace is sufficient. With His grace, anything. Boy, I just, I just was having a hard time with it. What? How could, how could my aunt be so good with it? How could she take it so good? And I battle with it. I really battled with it. I said, Lord, what are you doing? I didn't understand what he was doing. I even told the Lord, why did you let my mother die? If my mother would not have died, I would have grown up in this country. I would have known the language. How Sanderson would have been easy for me. So why did you allow that? Now, was I thankful? Yes, I was a thankful person. I was thankful I was in the United States. I was thankful I, I had a, a wonderful wife I had married. I was thankful. But see, the Bible says be thankful in everything. Sometimes there's just one little thing that's getting to us. One little area that we don't feel like maybe God has been fair with me. Maybe why God is allowing this. Martha and I were married for 11 years and no children. Why does everybody else have kids like rabbits? Especially Spanish. And we cannot have children. Why, Lord? Why? Have you ever been there? Or am I the only one? Have you ever been there where you just question God? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this? Lord, I don't understand. I'm sure Joseph could have said when he was betrayed with, from his brother and saying, Lord, why are they doing this to me? When he was sold for 20 pieces of silver, Lord, I can't believe it. They're, they're selling me to some people to take me to a far country. I don't even know the language. I don't know anything where they're taking me. But you know, the Bible says that God was with Joseph. And even though they put him there in Potiphar's house, God bless him. Why? I believe Joseph kept a good spirit. A thankful spirit. And the grace of God bless him. Then he gets accused by a woman, falsely accused, and as you know the story, and is accusing him, they wanting to rape her and, and all that. So now he puts him in jail and he goes to jail. But the Bible said, but God was with Joseph. 
Joseph did not let things affect him. Joseph kept trusting God loves me. God is powerful. God is so wise. If this is happening, I don't understand it, but I'll accept it. And Joseph accepted it. There he comes, the chief uh, cupbearer, and he comes and he forgets about uh, Joseph interpreting the dream, and two years go by, and Joseph's now there. Listen, if anybody had enough reason to be bitter, to be disgruntled, was Joseph. But there, Joseph's still a good spirit. You know Pharaoh has a dream, and you know the story, and Pharaoh has a dream, and now they say Joseph can interpret. Oh, I remember somebody. Yeah, let me get him. And Joseph comes and says, I heard you can interpret dreams. He says, no, no, I can't interpret dreams. My God can. What a, what a young man. What an attitude. See, our attitude is vital in days of trial, in days of hard times. What's the future of America? Only God knows. But I know one thing, my God's still on the throne. I know God's on the throne. I know we could have a great revival, we could have a great persecution. Whichever it is, I know my God is with me. And here, Joseph, boy, it doesn't seem like your life is going very well. Look all you're going through. You have not done nothing wrong. Your brothers betray you. You're falsely accused. You're put in jail. You're forgotten in jail. And now look at Joseph, second in command. Why? Because he had a right spirit of thankfulness and the grace of God was with him. Amen. Is anybody listening to me? Thank God for that grace. Our time is running out. Let me jump to this. Go with me to Hebrews 12, please. James 4, the Bible says he gives grace to the humble but resisteth the proud. We need us the grace of God. That's all we need. His grace is sufficient. But look at Hebrews 12, 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. How could you fail to get the grace of God? Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. What happened to the people of Israel? They start griping, complaining, and God said, okay, 40 years in the desert. When we get a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of resentment, like if God had not been good to me, like his grace is not sufficient, like if all he did for me was save me, and I'm not thankful. God says, you're stopping my grace to help you. I want you to come to the throne of grace for help. I want to give you my grace. All you need is my grace. But you need to be thankful in everything. For that one little thing you're not thankful for. That's going to stop my blessings. I was struggling in the house, Anderson. And one day, in that old auditorium, Brother Howes preached, something must die so something can be born. And I came to the altar and I said, Lord, thank you for taking my mom. Thank you for taking me to Cuba. Thank you for bringing me and facing all that I face. 
Your grace is sufficient. Forgive me for my bitterness, my resentment. Forgive me. That changed my life. That changed my life. I give thanks for a lot of things, but one thing, my mother's death. I just couldn't. But the day I did, everything changed. 